want to get moving today. We've got lots of fun things um, to do in this sermon series. Um, actually, I, I, would say, I said fun. I guess it depends on your definition of fun. Um, this is pretty heavy sermon series i got going right now, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I almost did this to start the year. Um, and then I decided to push it back, and I was going to push it back till fourth quarter towards the end of the year, and I decided with uh, the political situation the way it is right now and our, polit- and our po- politicians kind of uh, worrying some of us, I know, um, and then uh, with some of the terrorism going on in the world, I thought this is a really good time for this sermon series, and so I'm excited about this today. Um, this might be one of those things, if you're, if you're a Christian in the house today, um, I'm going to get to talk to you just a little bit about what uh, God expects in the face of fear, um, in the face of anxiety, and political unrest, and war. Um, and if you're not a Christian, this is a perfect opportunity for you to get to understand how Christians are supposed to act in times like this, because you don't always get to see that. Um, so this is a good opportunity for that. Um, and if there's any fear in your life, whether it's a fear of something physical um, something uh, emotional, um, whatever it is in your life, um, this is a good opportunity for you to get some new perspective on the way God intends for us to think about fear. So I'm excited about that. Um, I want to give you a start today, just like I do every Sunday. Um, if you're new or checking us out, we do this every week, a moment, um, a couple minutes where you just can be quiet. Um, no matter what you believe, um, no matter how you feel about God right now, this is a good opportunity for you to kind of just Take a deep breath and uh, get a quiet moment. So I'm going to do that. It'll be about a minute. Um, and if you can close your eyes and, and just kind of make this between you and God right now, this moment of quiet so that he'll speak into your heart. God, in the quiet of this place now, we just give you this moment, this next 20, 30 minutes to speak into our hearts. Wherever we stand with you, wherever, however far we feel from you or close we feel to you, God, would, would you just give us a little bit of perspective on our life, on what you have in front of us? Remind us that you're in charge. Help us put the things in order in our life the way they're supposed to be. And we'll listen in your son's name. Amen. When I was 15 years old, I was just getting ready to get my driver's license. It was June um, of, I'm not going to give you a date because then you'd be able to figure out how old I am. Um, You know anyway, you already know. It was June of some date that I don't have the math on right now. But I was uh, 15 years old and I was going to get my driver's license in July and my dad had bought a 1982 Jeep Cherokee for me. Um, serious, if I had that now, I'd be so happy, but at the time, it was like, I mean, I was really happy then, um, but he, he put, he, he bought this Jeep Cherokee with big, big tires, four-wheel drive, and a gear shift about this long, and his thought was, if, if John can learn to drive this thing, it's four-speed, if John can learn to drive this thing, he can drive anything, you know, because it was just, it was hard to drive, lock-in hubs, if you remember the lock-in hubs, kids, you used to actually have to lock in your hubs to get four-wheel drive to work on your car, um, so I, I had to deal with all of that, no back window, had two canoe paddles holding up the seats, otherwise they'd fall flat like that, two pairs of vice grips keeping the doors 
uh, to, to open the doors because the door handlers had fallen off. Um, so it, it, was, uh, it was beautiful. Um, it, it was my bronze chariot. Um, and I was so excited to drive this thing. It had a cattle pusher on the front of it full of concrete. Um, so I, I could just knock over anything. It was just perfect. And um, Dad, Dad took me out, and I said, now, Dad, I, I'm about to get my driver's license. I'm going to be able to drive by myself, right? And I knew the law. I knew the law was that once I get my driver's license, legally I can draw, drive myself. But I also knew that my dad's law trumped the United States of America's laws. And that if he didn't say it was okay for me to go out by myself, it didn't matter what the law said. You know what I mean? So I was trying to make sure Dad was going to let me drive by myself, take my friends out in my bronze chariot. And he said, there's one thing you have to do. I think you're a safe driver. I've been driving. He drove with me in my permit for a year, and he knew that I could drive. And he, he said, there's one more thing I want you to do. Have you ever changed a tire before? I said, no. He said, well, I, I, I want to go out to the truck. So we went out to this truck. And now, if you can picture, you've seen trucks like this. There's some in our parking lot. I mean, the tire, I weighed 150 pounds dripping wet at that point. And the tire was bigger than me. And he said, I, I want you to change that tire right there. I said, well, Dad, there's nothing wrong with the tire right now. Why would I take all the time and energy to jack up this truck? Because you know what the jack looked like in that truck, I'm sure. It rusted to the frame, you know how that goes, and had to drop the wheel down from the back, the spare tire. I want, he said, I want you to put that spare tire on the truck right now. Dad, come on. Yeah, I want you to do it. And he stood there. And he watched me take a perfectly good tire off of the truck and put the spare tire on, make sure it worked, and then take the spare off and put the other one back on. All And it took me way too long. I couldn't hardly even get the lug nuts off of the thing. And I got it all done. And he said, here's the thing. Someday it's going to be dark, scary, and you're going to be in a bad situation. And you're going to be really glad you learned this before then. So I tell you that story today to say this. For some of you, this series about fear is like changing a tire that doesn't need to be changed yet. You just need to know that at some point in your life, fear will hit you in a way that will cause you to make decisions and do things you wouldn't normally do if you're not prepared. Now, some of you are right in the middle. You've got a flat tire right now when it comes to fear. You're right in the middle of this, and, and I, honestly, that's kind of why I'm doing this today because I, I read Facebook, and I see the comments of people that I love people that have been following Jesus for a long time who just totally have lost perspective on who's in charge, who's really in charge. They've lost perspective on how to behave in the face of fear. And I think it's time for us to get a good picture of how it is God intends for us to behave when it comes to fear. And I, I want to tell you today um, about some of the things that are going on in our world that you may not know of. Because we live in America, we are sheltered from a lot of the world. In fact, you don't have to raise your hand because I know you'd be embarrassed to do this, but I'll, just, I'll, I'll admit this for all of us. Until the terror recently hit Paris, we just kind of look at it and go, well, isn't that a shame? When it happens in the Middle East, we just go, hmm, that's a shame. But Paris feels enough like America, because Europe feels enough like America, that it felt a little more like home when it happened in Paris. And we all went, oh, no, this could be me now. Now, when it happens to somebody whose skin looks different to us and speaks in a different language, it makes us feel different about it. But when it came to Paris, it got scary. It started feeling like 9-11 again. It started feeling like fear. And the truth is, a lot of the terrorism and a lot of the things going on in our world today are dealing with Christians. Check out these statistics. In, in recent modern history, 
there have never been so much persecution of Christians. Um, each month in 2015, 322 Christians were killed for their faith. Now, this is worldwide, every month. Every month, 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed. 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians, which include beatings and abductions, rapes, arrests, forced marriages. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) Now, I I want you to know this for a couple reasons. One, because I don't think it's good for us to have our head in the sand when it comes to the way people feel about Christians. And secondly, I want you to know that in America, you're not going to shed blood anytime soon because of your faith. You're just not. But you need to know that people are. And that there is a long history in your belief system. If you're a Christian today, or if you're kicking the tires on this thing, if you're listening online and you're wondering what this Christianity thing is, it is a long belief system where people have died because of what they believed. They have died because somebody has asked them, given them the opportunity to deny what they believe or live, and they have chose what they believe over living. I think that's good for us to hear. You know, if we had that perspective, if one of our relatives had, had made that choice and we had got to watch it, do you think we'd post things on Facebook like, praise God, I prayed and I found my car keys. <laughs> like somehow that's our faith. That's all of it. Just, you know, it's just God doing things for me when I need something. You, you think that's the way we'd post? Or would we be moved to love people differently, to serve differently, to jump into things? that God's pushing us towards. I I want you to start to think a little bit about that when it comes to the fear and anxiety that happens in our world. You can turn on any channel. You can turn on Fox News if you want. You can turn on CNN if you want. doesn't matter what you feel politically. Any channel, and you will hear, long enough you listen, you will be afraid of something. And how you respond to fear and anxiety as a Christian, how you respond to fear and anxiety in this world is directly related to your faith if you don't believe that then you haven't read history (laughs) when it comes to anxiety and fear your faith comes to the surface before everything else so the question is how should we respond and if you're a christian you heard me say this at the beginning if you're a christian person if you're kind of trying to to dig in deeper with god and trying to understand what it means to follow jesus on a daily basis this is a perfect time for you to go now how should i behave when i get scared when I turn on the news or when my kids, this is happening in my house a lot, my kids are coming home and saying, Dad, what is this thing in Paris? <laughs> London knows more geography than I do now. And, and so she'll come in and, and ask me about this thing going on in Paris and the country surrounding it and ask me political questions that I'm not sure I even totally understand myself. And if I'm not careful, I begin to foster in her the weird problems with fear that I have. We can do this as parents. So how should we respond? I, I want to take you back to... Um, a little bit of a, a few stories, and I, I hope this will be interesting to you today, and it sure was to me as I prepared this sermon. At the beginning of our faith as Christians, um, whether you are a Christian now or you're learning about Christianity, at the very beginning of our faith, our founder, Jesus Christ, who was a human being who lived on the earth, he was a historical character, uh, whether you believe he was God or not, he was a historical character, and at the beginning of our faith, our founder was betrayed by a friend, He was unjustly arrested. There were bribes and people in high up places that arrested Jesus. There's a a show out right now um, called Making a Murderer. Have you seen this on Netflix? Really interesting show. Nobody making a murderer? No kidding. Um, It's a show on Netflix right now. Um, I'm watching it. It's really interesting. It's about um, our legal system and the 
you know, the, all the corrupt um, things that have happened in different cities and about, especially as it uh, concerns this one man. And as I was watching it, I was just thinking how awful this man had had it as a criminal. And he had been falsely accused and he'd been arrested unjustly and all these things. And I thought, man, this is nothing compared to the story of Jesus. I mean, this is nothing compared to our founder and what he started Christianity with. He was unjustly arrested. He was illegally tried and convicted. There was no legal premise for him being arrested. And then there's this word called flogged that we don't use very much anymore. The word flogged, um, it, it, I almost use the word torture there, but when we think of torture, we think of trying to get information out of somebody, and I want you to think about that. But the word flogged is an English translation for um, the word in the Bible that, that means that Jesus was literally, and I'm just going to warn you here, this gets graphic, that Jesus was literally beaten. Was, his robe was taken off after he was arrested. He was laid over a stump or a, a log of some sort with his back bare and his legs bare, and two Roman soldiers who were professionals at this, they practiced and they were really good at this. They, had, they would have both had a handle about a foot long attached to an eight-foot leather cord that had glass and spikes and nails in it. And they stood and they took turns. And the goal was to rip the flesh off of Jesus. Completely rip his flesh off. Now I could go further as to exactly how it happened and what it did, but mo- many of you would have to leave the room. But you need to know that this, this is the way our faith in Christianity started. He was cruelly and torturously killed. Now, when you, when you think about a cross, um, you've probably seen the movies where the cross is, is uh, you know, 15, 20 feet in the air. And you see, and if, you, if you see the pictures just right, you see that the Jesus' cross was just a little higher than the tube. That's not at all the way this would have looked. In fact, the way a cross worked at this time, the, the Romans didn't create crucifixion, but they perfected it. And the idea of crucifixion was not just to punish someone. The idea was to embarrass them, to humiliate them, and to make a point to anyone around, to scare them, to strike fear in the hearts of anyone who may be thinking about doing something against the Roman government. So what they did is they would take a cross, and they wouldn't hang it high. So when you think about the cross of Jesus, don't think about it way up in the air. This would have been inches off the ground. Not feet. It would have been inches. His feet, his, his feet would have been nailed to the cross so that he could have pushed up to breathe because people didn't die, um, didn't die on a cross uh, in crucifixion. They didn't bleed to death very often. They mostly asphyxiated. Um, they couldn't breathe because their hands would be out like this and you, they couldn't get their chest up. And you would push up on that nail with your feet. And that would allow you to breathe. And when you ran out of energy to do that, you would asphyxiate slowly. So the idea of crucifixion was to slowly kill a human, and to sit them so close to the earth they can almost touch it. And so people can come by, can spit, can throw things, can mock. Matthew chapter 27, Matthew says this. They released Barabbas to them. So they had, the, the, the government was always interested in keeping the people happy. And so they had two prisoners. They had Jesus and a man named Barabbas, who we know now was a a terrible criminal, had done a lot of awful things. And he says, I'll release one of these prisoners, and the other one will be crucified. And the crowd yelled, give us Barabbas. And so he released Barabbas. But he had Jesus flogged and handed 
handed him over to be crucified. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Imagine the pain. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, and then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail the king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him, and they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they mocked him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes back on him, and they led him away to be crucified. I tell you that story today for a lot of reasons. The first one is this, that fear, fear was at the very heart of the beginning of what you're doing today. Learning to live the way God wants, learning to live the life that Jesus led, learning to live the way he wanted us to live, meant looking in the face of fear and behaving in a certain way. You know, when we think of Jesus, we often think of this. Is this, you don't have to raise your hand, but is this what you think of when you think of Jesus? Usually, uh, uh, looks like he just got off the surfboard, <laughs> blonde hair, nice little tan, blue eyes, this soft look, like he's been, had a manicure and maybe a facial. The truth is, we've got to get this picture out of our head when it comes to Jesus. This was not our Savior. This is a picture that we softened. This is a picture of a Jesus for those of us who like to have a comfortable Christianity. The real Jesus, the strong Jesus. The real Jesus was braver than hell, stronger than steel, and tougher in the end than nails. This man struck fear into people he came in contact with. His eyes could be as soft and compassionate as they needed to be, or as harsh and as righteously angry as they needed to be. The story of Jesus clearing the temple, if you've ever heard that. Jesus walks one day into the temple, which is you know like the church now. He walks in and he, he sees this group of people exchanging money and exchanging goods and really ripping off all of the poor people in the area. So the religious people started using the church as a place to make money. And what they would do is they would, they would invite all these um, irreligious people and usually the most poor in the area, and they would come and they would say, come to the temple and exchange your money, and you would exchange your money and the exchange rate was ridiculous, and then you had to use that money to buy things in the church. And when you bought these things, the, the markup was ridiculous, and they were basically ripping people off, and they were using the church as a place to make money and rip off the very people that Jesus came to save. And he walked in the temple... And the, the picture of Jesus that I just showed would have said this. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all, could you, uh, could you move your business outside? Hey, y'all, could you take a little? But that's not the real Jesus. Somehow, this seriously, uh, potentially just violent at that point, man, took off through the church, overturning tables, and by himself, drove out the entire group of people. And when the law came, when the, the, the Pharisees and the, the, the legal system came to Jesus, they didn't arrest him. In fact, they didn't even ask him to give an account for himself, really. They didn't ask him to say, why did you do this? You know what they said? They said, who gave you this kind of authority? They looked at this man and said, there's no question. This dude's got some authority. There's no question. There's something in his eyes. There's something strong in this man that has authority. And Jesus said, my Father, God, 
gave me this authority. The real Jesus was braver in the long run than hell. In the midst of looking right at hell in the face, his bravery stood. He was stronger than steel, and in the end, he was tougher than the nails they put in his hands to hang him to a cross. He rose again and conquered it all. Matthew chapter 16 says this. After all of that happened, Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be a follower of me, whoever wants to, to, to live life the way I intend to live. Now, I've got to tell you right now, the reason we're doing Wednesday nights is because this is what we want around here. We want to figure out how not to come in and be religious, how not to just sing songs, how not to just sit in a pew, but how to actually live our life the way Jesus lived his life. That's a disciple. That's a follower of Jesus. He says, if you want to do that, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. So what that means is there are times where you're going to have to say no to you so you can say yes to Jesus. There are times in your life where you're going to have to say no to something that you desperately want, whether it's a physical thing, whether it's an emotional thing, whether it's a financial thing, so that you can say yes to living the way God intended for you to live from the beginning. Now this separates old Christians, the first Christians. This is one of the things that separate the first Christians from modern Christians. Many of us, we don't deny ourselves anything. We just just take the things that God gives us and ask for more. And the thing that Jesus was very clear about is that there are benefits to following Jesus. If you follow Jesus, it will give you things in your life, not, not, not gifts, but it will allow you to live a way that will bring you peace if you follow the way that God intended for your life. But, but there's also an ask of you. And many of us, because it doesn't cost us anything, many of us just take what we can take from God without giving back. Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, You're going to have times where you have to give, where it hurts to follow me. Have you ever had that in your life? Have you ever had a moment where it cost you something to follow Jesus? Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself. And then here's what he says. After hearing what it meant to be on a cross, maybe this will be important to you. He says this. They must deny themselves, take up their cross, your cross. Now, to us, that cross is jewelry. I mean, many of you are wearing a gold cross around your neck, and there's nothing wrong with that. But to them, this this cross wasn't gold. It wasn't something to wear as jewelry. It wasn't something on a building. The cross meant crucifixion it meant death in fact when jesus said this it didn't even mean the cross that jesus was on all it meant was death fear what if you'd have been there when jesus said hey who really wants to follow me most of us in this space who have been here and here we'd all go me 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 jesus i want to follow you and then he says all right you want to follow me there are going to be times where you don't get what you want there are going to be times where that peace that passes all understanding, you don't feel that. There are going to be times where it costs you something, where everybody's going out on a Friday night and you're not. There are going to be times when everybody's raising their kids this way and the harder way is this way and it's going to cost you. The hands start going down. In fact, there'll be times where you'll have a different kind of fear. There'll be times where 
he's talking to a group of people that actually had to live this way. There'll be times where you're going to have to choose between me and dying. Some of you on a cross itself. Hands go down quick. As he continues to talk, he says this. By the way, guys, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. I mean, these guys were so scared of the Roman Empire that it was changing their spiritual decisions. It was making them behave differently. Now, we don't have a Roman Empire. We don't have crucifixion in our culture. But we have a group of people right now that live in the world that scare Americans to death. If Jesus were here, here's what he would say. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot touch your soul. Jesus was trying to get this into his guys. He was trying to get his disciples to understand this because it's it's easy to say, but it's hard to get internalized. So he went out on a boat with them one time, and you've heard this story probably. He went out on this boat in what's called the Sea of Galilee, which is more like a lake than a sea. And they get in this rickety boat, and Jesus falls asleep. Um, Maybe. (laughs) The Bible says Jesus falls asleep. And as as he falls asleep, the storm starts to rise. And I think what Jesus was happening, now the Bible doesn't say this, but what I feel like might have happened with Jesus is what I do with my kids. Sometimes I pretend I'm asleep because I want to hear what they're doing and how they're, and, and I think it'd be better off if I was asleep because then they have to make some decisions. I think Jesus may have covered himself with a cover and they said, hey, why is Jesus asleep? And he's going, I'm not asleep, I'm in here, I want to teach you guys a lesson. I think that might have been what was happening because I don't know how you could actually sleep through the kind of storm they were in. But they went through this huge storm and they all thought they were going to die. And Jesus stood up. And he said, haven't you guys realized yet not to be scared by things that hurt your body? It's the soul that's important. And he stood up and he calmed the wind and the waves. And the disciples said, man, this guy's got some authority. Even the wind and the waves obey him. He says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid. Have fear, have reverence for the one who can destroy both body and soul and hell. He was saying, there is something that you should be mindful of. In the midst of our life, in the midst of the things that we're doing in our life right now, and as fear pops up, especially those of you who are following God, what Jesus says is, why are you letting the fear of humans overtake your fear of God? And when I say fear of God, when Jesus said fear of God, he means respect for what God wants in your life, how God wants you to do your life. What we often do is lose perspective. And here's what Jesus says over and over. And this is in our vernacular, so you don't miss it today. Uncertainty is unavoidable, but fearfulness, it's optional. Uncertainty is going to happen in your life. I had this conversation with Reese in London this week. Reese was walking out. He left. I've got a big campfire ring that sits outside our house just in the dark away from the lights of the house you know just like 10 feet in the dark and he left all of his stuff out by the campfire and we had told him to get it so I said hey Reese you need to go out and get your stuff and of course it was nine o'clock and it was dark and he looked out there he knew he was gonna have to go out and he said dad will you go with me I said no buddy I can watch you I can see you from here it's just past the dark and I know that but you need to go out there and you know what he did just the same thing you did when you were a kid and maybe some of you still do this ran out there as fast as he could, gathered all the stuff, and then ran back, and he had that feeling, because I know this feeling, I remember this feeling, that somebody's chasing him, somebody's following him. You know that feeling? 
And he ran, and he, he threw all of his stuff. At one point, he had just sure he heard something, and he threw all of his stuff, and he screamed like a little girl. And he came running out to the house, and I said, what in the world was that? He said, I don't know, Dad. I just lost my mind. <laughs> and he did what many of us do as adults in the face of fear. We lose our cotton-picking mind. We say things. We do things. We call politicians names. We start putting more trust in the government than we put in God. We lose our minds in the face of fear. And Jesus said, not if you're following me. You keep the, your eye on the first things. So I told Reese, you go pick up all that stuff <laughs> and you come back in here. And he went out looking around like this, you know. With a little bit of perspective, he got his mind back. This, uh, this man right here, his name is Claudius uh, Galenaeus, I think is how you say his name. He's a second century physician. And this is incredible. If you're, if you're interested in this kind of history, you can read his book. This was a, he was a doctor, and his job was to go into the Roman Colosseum if you're not familiar with the Roman Colosseum, this is the place where the Romans would gather around, and especially the rich Romans, would watch lions tear up Christians. They would, they'd have all these lions sitting in the Colosseum, and they were fascinated by lions. And they would, all the Christians they would arrest, they would move into the pen. And some Christians would be good at fighting, and it would be fun to watch for them. And it was gruesome, and it was awful, and it was one of the worst things that Christians have ever had to go through in persecution. Now, the Romans had a belief that it was wrong for, people, for you to touch a dead body. Only a priest could touch a dead body. Um, they could not, uh, a doctor could not touch a dead body. So they couldn't do anything to, you know, like we do now with, with corpses to learn about science. So this man was actually given um, the, the job by the Roman government to, as the Christians were dying, experiment. Since it wasn't legal to touch a dead body, he had to touch an experiment on bodies that were living. And that's as far as I'll go with that. But as he did, he learned something about these Christians, and it's an incredible book. A lot of his quotes and a lot of his um, findings were not about the physical nature of people, but about the spiritual nature, nature of Christians. And here's what he said. Fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. These people somehow, these Christians, in the face of fear, in the face of death, still loved more than anyone else. They still had perspective about who was in charge more than the rest around them. Our faith is such a long faith. It's been going on for 2,000 years. And here at New Life, what we're trying to do is to get deeper every day, the way God intended for us to do um, as Christians, to get better. Jesus, we, we've already heard Jesus in the face of fear. A man named Paul, um, if, if you go through um, the Bible, you'll see this man had a, had a different understanding of fear. At one point, he gets stoned um, almost to death, um, left for dead. Um, uh, one of the writers says that he was left for dead, and the people who stoned him went for dinner. <laughs> They're like, he's done. He's out. And he crawled back. Now, if you and I were, were stoned because of what we believed, I'm just speaking for myself. I won't speak for you, but I bet you'll agree with me. If I walked out that door today and somebody said, John, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? 
son of God, are you going to continue to preaching? And if I said yes, which I hope I would do, and somebody stoned me to the point where I couldn't lift my head, you know what I'd do next? I'd crawl back in this church and I'd put my hands together and I'd say, God, I did my part. <laughs> I preached, I love people, and I'm done. You know what Paul did? He crawled to the next place that needed Jesus. He continued his ministry. He continued to be in the face of people, and it made people so mad, people who didn't believe what he believed. It made them so mad that this guy would not submit to fear. The Christian people, the people who were just trying to figure out what Paul was doing, would go to him and say, please don't go to Rome, because they're going to arrest you there. And here's what Paul said. He, said, he looked them square in the eyes, and he said, listen to me, I am going to Rome, and I'm going to die there. I'm going to die in Rome, and I'm never going to see your face again, and I'm not scared because I'm not scared of what can hurt the body an incredible story do you know Mary the mother of Jesus spent the rest of her existence we don't talk about her much she spent the rest of her existence after Jesus um, had ascended running from the law this Mary that now we the, the churches all over America and all over the world worship Mary. Catholic churches worship Mary. Many of us in the Christian church, we don't worship her, but we, man, we, we just are so in awe of her faith. Now, we would never think of arresting her, but at that point, she had to run everywhere she went. Hopes that somebody wouldn't find out that she was Jesus' mother. William Tyndall, if you've ever read a, read a book, if you've ever read the Bible, any kind of Bible, if you've ever read a Bible, William Tyndall is partly the reason. He is the first person to take the Bible from the original language it was in, into English. And it was so against the law that they hung him on a stake. And then it was just about a couple years later that the King James Bible came about because of William Tyndall. And my question for you today, the beginning of this series, I want you to hang with me. This is a first part of a three-part series, and I want you to hang with me. We're going to talk about practical ways of dealing with fear, talking to your children about fear. And especially as it comes to the politics and the things that are going on in our world right now, how to think, how to talk, how to behave when it comes to this stuff. My question is, this, stuff, this, this life of Jesus, the life of Paul, the life of Mary, the life of William Tyndall, those who came before us, the life of, of those right now in the Middle East who are Christian people, you know there's a group of people today, a lot of them, that are gathered like you are gathered today. If you could, even if you have to close your eyes right now, would you imagine what it would be like to get your kids ready like you got your kids ready today. To get yourself together in the morning on, to get together to worship God. And to not get in your car to drive somewhere. But to have to go into a cave. Mommy, why are we going into a cave? Well, we're going to worship God and if they catch us, we'll be killed. Would you go? Would you wait till Saturday night to decide whether or not you were going to go to church the next morning? Would you just wake up in a whim, go, eh, I think I've got a little cold, I think I'm going to sleep in today? You think that ever happens? See, the, the tradition of the Christian faith is that this stuff is worth dying for. You won't have to die for it, but my question for you today is, will you live for it? In the face of the things that we deal with in our life right now will you stop your life and put god in the center now
today, um, band, you guys can come up. Today, I'd like for you to remember who's in charge. If you weren't here last week, I, I said something that caused some ripples. Um, it used to be that if people were upset, I quit saying things, but when I feel like they're from God now, I just say them again. So here's what I'm going to say again. When it comes to the politics involved in your life right now and involved in this company, in, in this country, who you vote for is important and politics are important. But if you're a Christian person, your faith comes first. You are more concerned and careful about where you put your trust than you are about who you vote for. So, those of you who think the world is ending because the right person isn't going to be in the White House, remember who's in charge, would you? Remember that throughout history, God has made his promises and he's kept every one. And as I said last week, if you can't talk about our world and our nation right now without getting scared and as Reese would say, out of your mind, then shut up because you're scaring the children. Your children, our children, need to understand that we trust something bigger than the United States government. That we put our faith, our hope, and our joy in something that is in charge of us that is much bigger than something we can vote for. Don't be in fear of those who can only harm the body. I, I can't believe this. My, my grandmother is 80-some years old. And um, as we've been talking about this lately, um, there was a time where she was politically charged and mad and very conservative. And recently we, we were talking about um, what was happening in Paris and about the, and she said, you know, I, I decided to get up in the morning and I've had the, all this fear and it just makes me mad. And, and I see all this stuff. And she said, I decided to, to stop looking at the refugees this time and start looking at the people in the masks on the television. And instead of praying for the refugees, which I'm still doing, but my first thought is to pray for the one in the mask. She said, totally changed my thought. Totally changed my attitude. If you, could, if you could not be in fear of those who could harm the body but not the soul, it would change the way you think. Uncertainty is unavoidable. Some of you came in today with physical problems, things going on, you're sick, and you don't know what's next. Sometimes the doctors do, but the older I get, the more I realize they're just guessing. Uncertainty is just as unavoidable for them. They're just educated guesses. But you don't have to be scared. Did you know that? Fearfulness is an option. If you put your trust in the one who created the body, the one who's in charge of your soul, uncertainty is unavoidable, but fear is optional. If you can just do this this week, if you can just get to a point where, where you feel scared, whatever it's about, wherever you start to feel fear, if you can just realize in that moment, oh, I'm choosing this. I have an option. We feel like fear happens to us. And Jesus says it's optional. So when, this week when fear starts to whisper, you choose fearlessness. I'll give you a chance today, just between you and God, to take a deep breath. You know, when Reese came in the house, all of his toys and stuff, his eyes were this big. Scared to death because he lost his mind, as he would say, out in the dark where everything was so uncertain. 
And when he came in, he ran over by the fire. It was really cold outside. He ran over by our fireplace, our wood stove, and he dropped all of his toys. And he turned around, and he looked at me, and he went, Phew. And I kind of laughed. Like, that's the worst thing that little boy's had to do. But I want to give you the option today. You can come in to the presence of God, your Father, look into his eyes, and just go. There's safety in the arms of God. Today is your day. You know, one of the things that happens in those caves all over the world, as I've read and listened, very few people come to church and walk up to the pastor at the end of the service and say, I'm thinking about being baptized. I'm thinking about giving my life to Jesus. I'd like to give it a few more weeks. They just don't do it. They come and they say, I'm not sure if I'll be here again. I'm not sure if I can make it another week. So I'm not sure I understand everything. I'm not sure I even believe all this stuff, but I know right here, right now, that in this place, I want God. If you're here today and you're feeling that way, I'm going to ask you, don't wait. We're all trying to figure this out together. Would you join us? Stand with us and sing this song this morning. And if there's anything in you, I'm getting ready to get in that baptistry. And I'm just going to warn you, it's cold. Oh, yeah. We got one. But while I'm wet and cold, let's make it a bunch. If today's your day, would you just come? Stand with us and sing. I'll be right down here in front, ready to receive you.